0: Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. Today we're talking to a mother whose son has schizencephaly, which is a rare birth defect. It causes slits or clefts in the cerebral hemispheres of the brain. These clefts may appear on one or both sides of the brain. And joining us from Florida is Tricia Dennis, whose son Noah has schizencephaly. Tricia, thanks very much for doing this. When did you first find out that Noah had this rare birth defect?
1: Um, I was about four months pregnant, and I felt him tightening up, and I had had a previous pregnancy, so I knew something was wrong. So I think it was about 28 weeks they actually diagnosed him in utero.
0: When you say tightening up, what do you
2: mean?
1: They believe he was having seizures in utero.
2: Oh boy, at the, even at the, that early age in development, or stage in yeah. development. Does he have it on one side or both sides?
1: No, it is bilateral, so he has catastrophic damage on the left side of the brain. He is missing his entire frontal left frontal lobe. And um, he has a deep right cleft into the cerebral hemisphere all the way through on the right side. So that is actually what causes the most damage. That frontal lobe isn't the problem. It's the deeper clefts that cause problems.
0: Well, wow. What were some of the uh, symptoms he experienced as a, as a baby?
1: Well, obvious dement, uh, de- developmental delay. Um, things that I note now when I meet parents is maybe the child isn't tracking properly because if there's a neurological problem, oftentimes the eyes can't concentrate or there's vision loss i noticed early on that he wasn't tracking he certainly wasn't on target with moving his arms correctly and things like that
0: when he was a youngster when he was a child could he speak
1: no uh no he never spoke um it was the one thing that i wanted from him and he did not speak you know up until a very short time ago
0: and when did the seizures first start
1: um, he was about for old. I, we believe that he was having focal seizures his entire infant, you know, in, in adolescent and toddler ages, even though those all kind of roll into baby stages with a developmental disorder. Um, he would just kind of stare off and I'd snap my finger and sometimes he'd come back. They would say those were infantile spasms, but those are seizures. They're just kind of absent seizures. His first grand mal seizure was not until he was five years and ten months old.
0: What was that like for you when it happened?
1: Absolutely horrifying. Uh, I'd never seen anything like it, and I didn't know how to respond. And thankfully, my mom is trained with children with special needs, and she knew exactly what to do because I, I literally removed myself from that situation at that moment. It was just too scary for you. I just couldn't comprehend it. I was already trying to comprehend all the other problems,
2: you know. So that one was a
1: little bit difficult to watch.
2: How long did it last, Trisha? I mean, I'm sure it seemed like an eternity.
1: The first one, only a few seconds, and then I think the day after that was about 45 minutes.
2: Oh, my goodness.
1: So That day started and escalated into hundreds a day.
0: Hundreds of seizures a day?
1: Yes. From the age of five to uh, nine, Noah seizured every day of his life.
0: How do you deal with that emotionally as a parent?
1: I think you become numb to it. I think that you, uh, it's, it's really, I'm going to give you a weird analogy here. It's not even an analogy. It's just a weird observation that I have. I can't watch someone having a seizure or acting like they're having a seizure on TV because I know what it looks like. <laughs> They don't do it justice because they never show you the fear and everybody's scrambling around and, oh my gosh, it's just a mess, you know? So oftentimes there's vomiting, there's no breathing, it's it's horrifying.
2: It's got to be incredibly traumatizing.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you talk about PTSD, that, I mean, every parent with special needs has to have some form of it.
2: I don't know how you couldn't have that.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: Was he seizing at all uh, at night when he was sleeping?
1: No. No. It was always first thing in the morning or right when he was going to bed in those early stages when the brain is trying to relax.
2: Oh, interesting. So for the most part then during the actual day he was okay?
1: No. No. During the day when he was awake is when he would seize. Okay, so
2: it it would start first thing in the morning and...
1: As soon as his brain started going, it would start.
2: Did he sleep uh, much?
1: Oh, gosh, no. Um, The first five years of his life, Noah screamed. um, To a point, I mean, I have a crazy story, you know. Our journey is absolutely crazy. When he was just four months old, he didn't stop screaming. I didn't know what to do. And here I knew about this disorder. I had been researching on library floors, pregnant, you know sprawled out word for word what's this word going to another book Um, I actually gave him up for adoption because I said I can't do this there's no way I didn't have the support I didn't have the means and I didn't have the the capability Um, that very same day that I gave him up I called and you know had to fight the state to get him back and we did get him back but I think at that point I realized that I was having a mental breakdown (laughs) because he just did. he never stopped crying And we never knew why.
0: When you look back at that time when you gave him up for adoption, what goes through your mind?
1: That I'm so grateful it happened. uh, Because I don't think that I would have got the strength or gotten my life together to be where we are today. So I'm, I'm grateful that not only was the adoption agency or the foster parents so understanding that I was probably having some kind of episode and you know made a really bad decision but they helped me gather my life together and get you know the pieces together to get him in order
0: so as a result of that decision you got the strength to carry on
1: i did yes
0: when uh, in 2014 you said in the notes that you sent us that noah's demeanor began to change what happened
1: okay so um about 2009 Uh, I think it was about 2009. Uh, Remember, I said that he started seizures at age five. So when he was nine years old, the seizures stopped. We don't know why, but he had a grace period for quite some time. Um, He was on, you know, several medications to contain that. It's not like it was just a free ride. We had medication, and then in 2012, he began something strange that i had never seen uh it wasn't a grand mal seizure it was these episodes where his arms would go out straight and he would stare off and he would be breathing heavily and then he would come out his arms would drop and that wasn't the problem what would happen afterward? like the seizure looked like it was over but then he would stop breathing and he would hold his breath for you know up to a minute two minutes sometimes those were seizures but at first they started off very subtly you know just kind of arm raised and i'm like what is that you know um so it was very difficult to diagnose what those were
0: now was he on any medications
1: he was on i think the same which were three medications at that time so he had been on the same three medications for the uh, whole time
2: and what, he, what were these medications supposed to do
1: They were supposed to keep the seizures at bay, which it seemed like they were. But, you know, now we know that schizomcephaly is just weird like that. You know, you might go years without a seizure and then boom, you have them. He was on three pretty hard narcotics that treat bipolar disorder. Because if you know anything about seizure medication, it's usually treatment of some other disorder, you know. Those were harsh medications that he was on at such an early age. Um, But whatever happened, they broke through with the combo he was on. And when they broke through, it, it, it went crazy just like it did when he was five.
0: So as a result in 2014, the seizure started to get worse. Do I have that right? It was 2012. 2012. The seizure yeah. started to get wor- worse. Now, in 2014, you said his demeanor changed. Is that... Yes. Explain that.
1: I think that he started going into puberty around then or really hitting it hard. It's not just the demeanor. His weight was dropped drastically. He was down to 44 pounds. Um, we were shoving food in him. wasn't working. Um, he was seizing so much that he couldn't stay awake. He looked like a skeleton. But now I, I say that, and it sounds like I'm a horrible mom, but that's not the case. Oftentimes when you're in a situation, you're not seeing it. So actually my aunt came over and said, he needs to go in. He doesn't look good. So, you know, it's, when you're dealing with a multitude of disorders like this, you're either fixated on the seizures or the eating dysfunction or the therapy. There's so many different things that, you know, oftentimes you get kind of sidetracked on one when another is happening. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I mean, I was also thinking when you were, when you were telling that story that uh, he had this uh, as a baby. And uh, as you go through life in your early years, your brain is developing. I'm wondering if his brain today is the same as it was when he was a baby. Do you have any idea?
1: I know that there are certain things that he remembers that definitely are from his early, early ages, like recently as an example, I picked up this little couch that he used to sit on and he was probably only three years old, but he loved it. And it, I pulled it out of the closet and he just started laughing. So he remembered that. Um, I think that his brain is very resilient and at an early age, it learned to kind of rewire itself. So I think that um, he's actually quite smart, very smart. You know, he can tell me quite a bit. So um I think he does have memory and things like that. I just don't think, Okay, so I think that sometimes they lose ability and don't, it's not that they don't remember, it's just that they don't have the ability because something else happened to disrupt that, like maybe scoliosis surgery, you know?
0: Well, doctors used to think that the brain, once you had the brain, it was a, a fixed organ in your body. But now they talk about brain plasticity and how the brain is continually developing. So it sounds uh- like that is what's happening with NOAA.
1: Right now, what I think is happening is mind-blowing, if you want me to back up and tell you why. I mean, it all started in 2014 because basically Noah was about to have a scoliosis surgery. He's very thin. It was getting to a point where I was extremely concerned. So I decided to leave this state and treat him with cannabis oil because I didn't see any other option. I just didn't see what else, what did he have to lose? And, you know, it was a family decision. It was, a, it was talked about quite a bit. A lot of re- resistance, let me tell you. <laughs> um, and within that first treatment, Noah looked at me in my eyes <laughs> for the first time.
2: That had to be quite the moment.
1: It was. Because it almost felt like he was like, thank you.
0: Yeah. He finally got some relief.
1: He did. That day was, like, life-altering because, you know, he kind of grabbed my hand and looked at me, and we were on the same wavelength, you know? We were just talking, and even though he wasn't saying words, he was just chattering, and I'm like, oh, my God.
2: It was walking. like he came to life.
1: Yes. It was like everything had been locked.
0: Yeah, the door is open, and out he comes.
1: Yeah. And And he's never shut up since
2: <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> he, he's quite feisty now
2: <laughs> now for listeners um uh knowledge of of Noah he is not able to walk, is he?
1: no no he's seventeen, and I carry him. I don't um, have nursing because I like to care for my own child, so
2: that's yeah. quite the job. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And to all the parents out there, it can be done. You know, I still do multiple things out in the community and still work. You know, you can do it.
0: Tricia, how much cannabis <laughs> did you give Noah initially?
1: Um, we, we were under the care of someone following him, a caregiver in Colorado, and um, we dosed according to what she told us. And I can't really tell you what that was starting with. It took a couple different strains to find which one was working for him. There were other children in the area that that particular um, doctor was treating. And so we were able to kind of find this one strain that seemed to work for all of us. So it was very exciting. I just don't remember what the dosing started at because, of course, you know, we've, we've gone up through the through the years now.
2: Do you recall what the strain was?
1: Yes, it was a kush. It was a grape kush.
2: Great kush, okay. Did he start on, was it cannabis oil you were giving him or a tincture?
1: It was oil, and uh, because he's a tube-fed child, meaning he doesn't eat by mouth all the time, he has a tube that goes directly into his stomach. I was able to just kind of dose him with a CC amount and, you know, put it right through his g tube.
2: And you would do that how many times a day? Three times a day. Three times a day. And
0: how soon did uh, he react favorably to it?
2: About two hours later.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's all.
1: About two hours later is when he uh, the first day is when he started kind of laughing. And, you know, we turn on a movie that he really liked and he didn't really act like he used to. He was like really tuned into it and talking and singing along and just a lot more happier. Um, seemed like he had less pain. You that mu- know,
0: that must have been a bit of a shock for you.
1: I never thought about pain. I never thought about pain. So um, I did think about it that day that the fact that he was so happy might be because he wasn't feeling so much pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What about his weight? Has it, has he gained any weight?
1: Yes. Um, now, he's tapered off at where he probably should be, which is around 75 pounds. But that's not... He looks healthy, and no one's concerned about his weight anymore. But he gained... Within that um, first year, he went from 44 pounds to 93. Now... Mm-hmm of got a little heavy and you know we wanted to be careful about gaining too much because of his bones being so small because you can't change the anatomy of what he was um so you can't put a whole lot of weight on a child that was small frame so we have to kind of but he did he did he gained weight really that but he started being interested in eating um he doesn't he just acts i don't know how to explain it cory You got like i just other than he acts like a complicated 17 year old like he does have problems now but i'm not looking at him like he's full care it's like he can explain things to me now it's yeah. absolutely phenomenal
0: how does he communicate with you
1: um, like, here's an instance. I give him medicine through his G-tube. Um, normally, through the years, I would just do it and not think anything of it. I just do it. It's something I do. And now, a couple months ago, I, I realized that he was watching me do it. So I'm telling him what I'm doing. And now, every morning, I tell him, okay, it's time to do your medicine. And he looks at the tube where it is. That's communication. That That is us talking.
2: And he actually comprehending what you're saying.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. He's over here talking talking right now (laughs) so um yeah we've we've just had so so you know that's my backstory and and then the whole thing was is that i've been keeping this in the shadows i have not told many people what we've been doing leaving the state going and treating doing what we had to do to kind of see what was happening with noah but i'm tired of not telling people especially with this disorder what we're seeing Because it's not fair to those families. If Noah was doing... He's on the same amount of medications that he was three months ago. But a year ago, he was on seven medications. So that was four more medications than he is right now. And the only thing that's different is cannabis oil.
0: Do you get much pushback from people who you tell that uh, Noah is taking cannabis oil?
1: No. No. Not even, like, not even my really, really white, right-wing friends that are just absolutely no about medical marijuana. I'm, no, I don't think anyone sees a problem with children being treated that are suffering. No. I think that there's a stigma placed on the other parts of it that, you know, I've never got, you know, people might be afraid to cross me, though, guys, because I am no pit bull. (laughs)
2: Like, I don't know if I'm... Well, you know, how, how can you deny the, the change in him? I mean, how can you be against medical cannabis when you see the change in Noah?
1: I can't. And nobody can deny that this happened. I mean, we've documented it from day one. We we, we are going to tell this story. But we wanted to wait until we just got enough solid proof of what we saw every day. And just, I mean, I, I'm having so much fun writing this book right now because I'm going back to, like, just three and a half years ago when it started and just notes that I made. And it's so cool how much he's grown. Do
0: you talk to other schizencephaly parents?
1: I do. Um, One of the biggest topics, and this is, you know, it's like living in the shadows and I'm not even going to lie. Our children, and what I was told by three neurologists so far, is schizencephaly is never going to be controlled. The seizures are considered uncontrollable because there's missing areas of the brain that just, the other option is to do a surgery and that's a 50, 50 chance, you know, and and when you have a bilateral case, you can't take more brain matter than, you know, that's just crazy. So these parents will come to us, myself or the organization that, you know, I work with and ask us, what do we do? We're going to be refugees. We have to go, we have to leave We're failing. Our kids are dying. Yeah, see the like kids die. So, um, you know, and these are the family. This is family. This community is very small. And these parents are scared. So um, we decided that we're just going to bring it to light. And uh, this convention is all about celebrating what's happening. And we have a couple. We have an adult that's going to be speaking about her experience with cannabis. We have myself. We have another mom who's going to be talking about her experience with cannabis and her son. We're just coming together and we're going to start bringing this to light because we're tired of hiding in the shadows.
2: Good for you. How many children approximately in, in the U S have this? Like, is well, this very common or it's children
1: and adults? Cause it, you know, a unilateral case can live a normal life really with just seizures or maybe some muscle tightness. You just never know. Um, Back in the day when they actually did some kind of population of it, it was around like one in 100,000 cases. But what we're finding is an organization, because we are the only organization for this disorder. Like We do have genetic counselors and hospitals contact us for information. We are providing what is necessary, and the doctors aren't giving families. We think the prevalence is higher, because we're getting a large amount of adults contacting us that are 30 years old and have had CP... Cerebral palsy or seizures their entire life, and nobody ever did an MRI on them. And then they're 30 years old, and all of a sudden someone does one, and oh my gosh, you have missing areas of your brain. So we're really trying to push for more um, maybe screening of people that have cerebral palsy. What's causing it? Let's find out. Let's get these numbers right.
2: Tricia, what's the name of your organization if people want to look you up?
1: It is We Are Rare Incorporated. And that's WeAreRare.org. And we deal with um, their neurological conditions and uh, try to provide family support and information and any resources that those families need, and as well as conventions where we have 60 families this year coming with critical care children, medically fragile children on ventilation machines. You know, they're coming because they want this information. They're desperate.
0: Tricia, do you have any other children?
1: I do have a 19-year-old son. He's amazing.
0: I was going to ask you how he reacts to Noah's issue.
1: He's a really fantastic brother, very supportive, does so much for Noah. Very proud of his brother. Very, very close. Very, very close. And he's such a great kid because he's grown up around these children and, you know, what we do.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Is that Noah in the background singing?
2: Hey, Noah.
1: Hey, hi, Corey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's cooing and hooting and hollering.
0: (laughs) Trisha, when you look back at you in the library researching this when you were pregnant and you now, how different a person are you?
1: Very. I think I'm a little less self absorbed, and I I think sometimes it wasn't really that. (sighs) wasn't really that long ago. I'd say within the last couple of years, I've just become a more humble person and realized that if I think we get one shot at this here and if if we're kind and we help each other and we do what we're supposed to do here, you know, that's, that's the plan. Let's do it. So I I think that was an epiphany I hit around 40 years old. I think it's a normal thing to grow up. (laughs) Um, But looking back at that person, I was also then when Noah was, when I was pregnant, Probably the same, still looking in books and researching and finding the answers that I'm not given. I'm going to find them.
0: <laughs> when you were younger, in the notes you sent us, I got the impression that you had some battles with your mom when you were younger. Uh, okay. But she was a great support to you throughout this.
1: Yes, she has been. Um, she, My mom was a, the kind of mom that would fight to no end if she felt that we were right. And even, even though some of the decisions I made might not have been the right ones that she would have agreed with, she stood by me every, every time I did something, even in my teens. So, you know, in the, in, in the sense that she was very controlling also as a parent, I think that I learned that now that's an asset. You kind of want control, so you know what's going on, but at the same time, you know, it kind of gives you self-control too. So she taught me quite a bit, and she's been very supportive. Yeah, and, know there.
0: yeah anyone who has teenagers knows that uh, if you let them control the situation, uh, all hell will break loose, because all of us have been teenagers, so we know what that's <laughs>
2: like.
1: <laughs> sure, and if you ask some of the worst teenagers out there, they're going to tell you the reason that they're doing you know, what they're doing is because they didn't have discipline and control, you know?
0: All you can do is give your kids a little discipline and lots of love. And, exactly. And then when they're old enough, push them out of the nest and say, you're on your own.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what my mom did. You know, once I was on my own, I was on my own. You know, there's oftentimes me and my mom are just so similar, and we're not real, like, you know, huggy, buggy people. <laughs> you know, we're, <laughs> yeah. not, we're not like that. Like, I get emotional when I talk about children that we work with. But, that, you know, me and my mom don't go around crying all day. Um We we frown upon that, I guess. (laughs) So I get some strength from her. But it's just, you know, sometimes she does stop and say, I'm really proud of you. Or this is, you know, what you've done is amazing. And, And that means so much to me because she's all the family we have left, too, you know. So.
0: Yeah, this was tough on your dad, wasn't it?
1: It was, yeah. Very hard. The last day that I saw my father was the very last day that Noah had a seizure before he had that break. So when he was five, it was around in 2008, it was very close to 2009, right when my dad killed himself. Um, Noah had a very large seizure. Um, We called him and we said he's back in the hospital. And my dad said, oh, for God's sakes, and threw the phone down. You know, you could tell he was in a bad mood, not himself for months. Noah was going through a lot. It was a lot of hospital trips, guys. It was very bad. So uh, we were sitting outside. Noah did come back. You know, he did almost die that day. But me and my dad were outside that day. And, you know, he looked at me and he said, I'm not going to be around forever. And I said, yeah, I don't want to talk about that crap, Dad. You know, I was kind of thinking, that's kind of self-absorbed. And, you know, two days later, he, he killed himself.
0: Was he suffering from depression?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. But we didn't know, you know. He was not only depression, but just uh, anxiety and stress and uh, so much. This Conditions like this really do affect the entire family. I don't think people realize that.
2: Yeah, the, the, the impact that it has on everybody's lives.
1: Absolutely, because he's seeing his daughter almost lose her son. I mean, and that's his grandson, but if he's looking at it two different ways, it's, it's, it's horrible. So it's sad because... Noah did not have any more seizures after that for five, almost three, I guess, almost four, four years. So it's kind of sad that he missed that and that he didn't get to see where we've come since then.
0: Well, I'm sure if he was alive today, he'd be really proud of you, both of you.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I sure hope so. Yeah, no, he was a big supporter.
0: Tricia, anything you'd like to tell us in conclusion?
1: Yes. If, if any parent out there or any person that's dealing with any kind of neurological um, condition has questions and, you know, especially rare disorders, we're happy to assist them or at least provide resources that they may need. There's so many rare conditions out there that, you know, we're not talking about. And I don't know when they become an epidemic. Do, when does it become autism? I don't get it. it. To us, something devastating like this, we wouldn't wish on a million people, but when does that happen? You know? So we have to start putting some awareness towards rare disorders, and especially children that have conditions that they can't help that make them seize constantly. We need to get awareness out there that there's other alternatives.
2: Tricia, when's your convention?
1: It is October 19th through the 22nd in Orlando, Florida, open to the public.
2: So if people want uh, information, they can go to the... We are ready. We are or. rare, yeah. We are rare,
1: yeah. And we have a page for the 2017 convention. It is with the emphasis on rare neurological disorders, but there are several speakers there. And like our, um, there's representative Guillermo Smith is going to be speaking about legislation here. I mean, there's several people that are going to be speaking that pertain to the public. So. And
2: uh, Doug Bench is going to be speaking there, the judge that we interviewed uh, a few months back.
1: Absolutely, because what you know, has he talked about? Different refugees, and this is what we have, you know? So we're, we're definitely going to be be really providing as much information as parents need that they can make decisions for their children.
0: Trisha, it was wonderful to talk to you. You should
2: be very proud of yourself and Thanks. proud of your family.
1: Thank you. It was great. Thank you guys so much for having me.
2: Thanks, Trisha. And, you know, I think you're pretty darn amazing. And
1: you are, too. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, take care
0: thank you
1: thanks guys
0: Thanks. and that's another episode of Cannabis Health Radio thanks for listening everyone you've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast visit our website CannabisHealthRadio.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter
1: Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other
2: shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humiston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.